Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel according to John, chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Guide us, O God, by your word and Holy Spirit, that as in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover your peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. John 3, verse 14. Jesus said, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. On this fourth Sunday of Lent, we want to give thanks to God for the reading of Holy Scripture. And we are continuing our series, our teaching series that we've been calling From the Inside Out. And I want you to know that we are excited about this series because it fits so intricately with the mission of our church. And the mission of our church is all about making disciples, to grow people and encourage spiritual growth in such a way that we're knowing who Jesus is, we're growing in him, we're making disciples, and we're serving Christ both in this church, in our community, in the Chicago area, and around the world. But in order for that to happen, we ourselves must continue to grow up in Christ, and that is the focus of our teaching series. And so we invite you to join us. If you are a new believer, if you are investigating the Christian faith for the first time, maybe you're, you're looking for something to read. I know many of you are reading scripture right now, and I'm so excited about that. But if you're still looking for something to kind of sink your mind into, I want to offer up to you the 21 chapters of the Gospel of John. In fact, many times when I have encouraged people to become Christians and they have made that decision to cross over the line, and to commit their lives to Christ, I often tell them, start with the book of John. This is a great place to begin. And here we are this morning looking at the third chapter of John. And I think this third chapter, if you really wanna know sort of the heart of the Gospel of John, 
I believe this third chapter would be one place to look. It really illustrates what this book is all about. Because in this chapter, you will see where Jesus pours out his heart. And there are many instances in the Gospel of John where Jesus gives these long speeches or sermons. This is one of the most powerful speech or sermon that Jesus gives, where he pours out his heart on what I think is, is the greatest concern to him, how men and women are born anew into a deep and living relationship with God, his Father. And when you really think about it, that is Jesus's mission. That's why he came into the world, so that people might come out of the darkness and come into the light. And chapter three begins with a human problem. There's a human problem that's exemplified in chapter three, and it comes up in a huge way in the life of a religious leader named Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he comes with someone who has many important qualifications. And you'll see that in verse 3 of John chapter 3. He comes with status. He was a member of the most scripture-believing branch of the Jewish faith. He's a member of the Pharisee party. He's a member of that powerful ruling group called the Sanhedrin. And by the way, Paul was a member of the Pharisee party also. He comes to Jesus with a lot of influence. The scripture tells us that he was described as a, a leader among the Jewish people. And what we're reading from history is that people who were Pharisees, people who were part of that ruling class called the Sanhedrin, often not only had the position to go, the power to go with the position, but they had the money and the wealth that came with the position. And therefore, we could say that he came with the qualification of power, but he also came as one who had amazing intellect. Jesus called him a teacher of his people. He was an intellectual. And with, yet with all that he had, he comes to Jesus and you get the sense that something is missing. This highly respected teacher came to Jesus and he was searching for something. And Jesus then challenges him. And you'll hear me use that word challenge several times. Jesus challenges him and all who would listen that the Holy Spirit is the agent of spiritual rebirth, the agent of change. The Holy Spirit transforms lives. The Holy Spirit addresses the deep human spiritual needs in a way that nothing else can and no one else can. And I, I just want you to know, I find it stunning that in John's gospel, the first people confronted with the need for growth, the need for rebirth and change are not pagans. They're not people with obvious sins, but it's the religious people. And I want you to double click on that. Double click on that thought, because we can be deeply religious, deeply embedded in a religious movement and still not be changed. And that's troubling, isn't it? I hear the words of Isaiah ringing in my head. There is none righteous, no, not one. And so when you think about religion, even the, even the highest types of religion, even the most sincerest expressions of religion does not match up if there isn't that reality and that relationship with God. 
Let me try to say that again. If all we have is religion and we're sincere and it's the highest form, but we still lack that authentic relationship with God, something will still be missing. And I wonder if this is a reason why Nicodemus comes under cover of darkness to meet with Jesus. I wonder if that's the reason. Now, again, this is not a criticism of the man. In fact, we must commend him and the millions of people like him throughout time and around the world who are truth seekers, whether they come during the day or they come at night or they come on a social media platform or they reach out through an online service. We want to commend these people who are seeking to address the void that's within them. These people know something is missing and they feel the unsettledness in their hearts and they know that there has to be more. And this is why Jesus spoke so seriously, so earnestly with Nicodemus and challenged him about the condition of his life. Now, Nicodemus comes to Jesus with a perception as to who he thinks Jesus is. And when you read the gospel, that's always been the problem. Who is Jesus? And so when Nicodemus comes to Jesus that night, he says, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. And I wrote in my notes in my margin of my Bible, but is that, is that all there is about Jesus? Is that all there is about Jesus? And Jesus interrupts his platitudes. And for the rest of chapter 3, we're reading one of the finest sermons of Jesus in all the New Testament. And the first point of Jesus' sermon is in the form of a challenge. Why a challenge? Because here's what a challenge does. When somebody challenges you, when somebody holds you accountable, it has a way of jolting you out of complacency. A challenge is rather binary, isn't it? And I know people don't like that anymore. Nobody likes black and white, right and wrong, up and down. We want variations and chapters and Jesus challenges him. In a very binary way, you need to make a choice. With love and with passion and full of truth. Jesus said to this religious leader, Nicodemus, I want you to know that no one can see the kingdom of God without becoming born from above. And that's the challenge. That is a very radical doctrine. Jesus wants everyone to know that the most radical change imaginable in the human life is new birth. Because that new birth opens up the door for that person to see the reality of God, see the kingdom of God in a way that supplants the kingdom of this world. And to see the kingdom of God, I think, is home. It's the longing of every soul to find home. To see the kingdom of God is to experience life as it was meant to be. So let's just come out and say it again. Everyone, without exception, needs new birth to be in God's kingdom. Now, so we're in 2021. Will that truth claim hold up on Chicago Avenue? Probably not. Will it hold up on Michigan Avenue downtown? Probably not. Why? First of all, I think it's because of who is making the truth claim. It's Jesus. Jesus doesn't sit well with the American mind. 
Because when you begin to tell people that they need Jesus, the first thing they're going to say to you is you're so narrow-minded. So it's not going to hold up well. Second reason why it won't hold up for some, it's because we like to think as human beings that we have agency. We can forge a path for ourselves and we can address the deepest longings of our lives and we don't need help from that unicorn in the sky, some people say. We don't need a religious answer for the challenges in my life. So I recognize that this doesn't sit well with everyone and maybe even in the church, the notion that you must be born again is offensive to some. But Jesus says, look, it starts from above. It's mysterious because it involves the Holy Spirit and you can't see the Holy Spirit just as you can't see the wind, which way the wind is blowing. You just can't predetermine, control, dictate to the movement of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit transforms us. And Nicodemus is just, the, the circuits in his brain begin to blow. And he doesn't understand the need for new birth through water and spirit. And he's so confused, he finally blurts out and he said, Jesus, how can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into, into the mother's womb and be born? I mean, that's the best way his mind can wrap can wrap his mind around what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, hold on, Nicodemus, let me just try a different approach then. And Jesus reminds him of a familiar story from the wilderness wanderings in Numbers 21, 5 through 9. And you remember when you read the book of Numbers, life in the wilderness is tough. You know, you say 2020 was tough. Yes, it was tough. It felt like you were in a wilderness, but I'm talking about this kind of wilderness in the, in the desert, this was really tough. And the people of God were not happy about the conditions under which they were living. And so they complained and they bickered and they murmured against Moses and Aaron for their condition. And it was during one of these murmuring seasons, their season of discontent, that God then finally sends an outbreak of fiery serpents among the people. If you've never read that before, again, you can go to Numbers 21 and read all about it. And so many people began dying from the serpent's poisonous bite, and the people then started crying out in sorrow and repentance to Moses for help. And Moses goes to God and Moses intercedes on their behalf before God. And God told Moses, Moses, I want you to, to, to make a bronze serpent and stick it on a pole. And I want you to hold it up among the people and tell them to look up, lift up your eyes and look to the serpent. And when you look at the serpent on the pole, you will live. I know it sounds weird, but it's there in Numbers 21. Anyone bitten by the serpent who looked to that upraised bronze pole would be healed, would be saved. And then Jesus, as a great preacher, uses this familiar story to remind Nicodemus that Nicodemus, this is really about me. This is a picture of the Son of Man being raised aloft on the cross as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, he said, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus wants Nicodemus to understand that he's more than just a teacher sent from God. Jesus wants Nicodemus to understand that he's the door to eternal life. If you want to live, Jesus says to Nicodemus, believe in me. 
If you want to live, Nicodemus, I want you to look to me, look at the cross, and there you will be healed, and there you will find life. So that is that very harsh, strong, binary challenge. But then Jesus goes deeper with the challenge, and it has to do with God's gift. If there is one sentence, I think, that sums up all of the Gospels, all of what it means to become a transformed person, it is right here in verse 16. And you can just see Jesus with a heart overflowing with tenderness and with love. He explains to Nicodemus that accepting this gift has eternal consequences. One's personal choice, one's personal decision for or against God, against God's free gift of his son, means either life or death. It means either darkness or light. And I was uh, looking in Dale, Dr. Dale Bruner's commentary on the Gospel of John and his reflection on John 3.16, and he said it this way, and I, you, you could see it on the screen, where he says, God, who is the greatest subject ever, so expressing the greatest extent ever, loved, demonstrating the greatest affection ever, the world, showing the greatest object ever, that he gave his one and only son, the greatest gift ever, so that every single individual, in other words, whosoever, showing the greatest opportunity ever, who is entrusting himself, simply entrusting himself or herself, which is the greatest commitment ever, will never perish, will never be destroyed, which highlights the greatest rescue ever, but would even now have deep, lasting life. And that's God's greatest promise ever. That's the greatest thing. The entire plan of salvation is laid out in this verse from the human problem to God's solution. And here we see the worldwideness. We see the bigness of God's love. This verse is at the heart of the gospel. It is from God's heart to your heart, from Jesus' heart to Nicodemus' heart. And we come now to the last part of Jesus' challenge to Nicodemus and to us. Jesus, the evangelist, now asks Nicodemus and all who hear to make a choice. Jesus is now saying, Nicodemus, it's now your move. And that's important to know, right? God cannot force you to become a follower. It's always an invitation. Even when God created the man and the woman, in Genesis 1 and 2, God couldn't force them to obey him. God could say, yes, all the trees of the garden you may enjoy except this one. They had to make that move. You have to make that move today. And notice what he says in verse 17, and this is where it's get tough. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. We've got to remember that. I always tell people, you say, well, is there really a hell? I said, look, yes, there is. 
God didn't create hell for you and me to go there. Hell was created for the devil and his angels and for all who would follow the works of darkness. Think about that. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. God sent Jesus into the world on a rescue mission to save the world through him. And then Jesus does something that many of us today would find very off-putting. Jesus gives these final warnings and an, an, and an admonition. And here's the first warning that he gives to Nicodemus. If John 3.16 is the most quoted and preached verse in all the Bible, I would suggest to you that John 3.18 is the most overlooked verse in the Bible. And Jesus basically says, here's the first warning, that if you reject me, you are condemning yourself. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So the question is, am I condemning myself or is it God who condemns me? And based on Jesus' words, by rejecting him, we're basically condemning ourselves. And so what Jesus is telling Nicodemus, what Jesus is telling us this morning is that we have a choice. And if we choose to believe, if we choose to entrust ourselves to Jesus, we're not condemned. But if we choose not to entrust ourselves to Jesus, we're condemning ourselves already. Tough stuff, I know. Here's the second warning Jesus gives to Nicodemus. And this is a very grim analysis of the human condition. That by rejecting Jesus, we are actually bringing ourselves into deeper darkness. And people who reject Jesus are, in essence, saying that they prefer darkness over light. That's what Jesus says we're doing. And this, my friend, is really the true doctrine of original sin. That we then would turn against him. I want my way. I want my stuff. I don't want God's way. So I want you to understand how culpable we all are. Jesus comes into the world as light. Read John chapter 1. In him was life and, and his life was the light of all people. The light came into the world. Jesus has come into the world as light shining brightly into the darkness. We can't miss the light. And yet, Jesus says, we have the capacity to turn our backs on the light and run from the light. And this is the judgment, Jesus says, that light has come into the world. But people choose, you see that word? The choice. People choose darkness over light. And only when we say no to Jesus and yes to our sin and our way of life do we then begin to fall into deeper and deeper darkness. That's the warning Jesus gave to Nicodemus. The third warning that he gives to him then essentially says that by rejecting Jesus, it means then we have more love for the darkness. Not only are we falling into the darkness, not only are we preferring the darkness, but now we begin to love the darkness instead of the light. John chapter 3 and verse 20 says, for all who do evil, they hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. And I'll be the first to raise my hand. Many of the, the bad things I've done, I didn't do it in broad daylight. I didn't do them on Main Street so everyone could see me and take a picture of me. When I'm up to no good, I'm finding 
a time and a place and the conditions must be right for me to do the bad things that I want to do. It's just, it's just human nature. And that's what Jesus is pointing out. We find ourselves loving evil, defending evil because of the darkness. And what the darkness does is that it brings distortion. And suddenly we begin calling what is good evil and we begin calling what is evil good. That's what the darkness does to us. And this is why cultures throughout time hate the church. Because Jesus, who is the head of the church, challenges the evil. He challenges the darkness. He challenges human sin. And nobody likes to be challenged in this way. And that's the reason why Jesus says, if they attacked me, if they disregard me, guess what? They're going to do the same to you. You're going to be dismissed. You're going to be challenged. You're going to be, you're going to be canceled. But then the book doesn't close on warnings. The book closes or the chapter closes with what I call the great invitation. Jesus ends his sermon with this great invitation to Nicodemus and to us, but to those who do what is true, but those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds are being done in God. That's the invitation. People hiding under the cover of darkness try to evade. People who want to come to Jesus, they come into the light. Darkness hides, light reveals. Darkness hides, light reveals. Let me say it again. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus came into the world with light so we could see the way to God. And isn't it ironic that Nicodemus came in the shadow of the night to Jesus, who is the light? And Jesus basically says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, my son, keep coming. Keep coming. You're, you're, you're coming in the right direction. Keep coming. You're going in the right direction. You're, you're, you're seeking to make the right choice. Yes, Nicodemus, I am the light of the world. And Jesus is inviting you to come into the light. He's inviting you to come because he's the light of the world. And only then can you truly examine your life and your deeds in the light of who God is. Some of us don't realize we're in the darkness. And it's because we're telling ourselves we're okay. But if we were to bring our lives to Jesus, we're quickly going to discover that so much of what we do and how we think and how we live, it's not from God. Jesus says, keep coming, keep coming. You ever wonder what happened to Nicodemus? Because the chapter ends and it doesn't end like, you know, that typical evangelistic service where the person come forward, comes forward and makes a confession. The chapter just ends. What happened to Nicodemus? Did he walk away as so many have done to Jesus? Did he rationalize things and, and, and say, let me think it over? Or did he entrust himself to Jesus? Well, of course, in John's gospel, there are two other instances where, where Nicodemus shows up. In chapter 7 of John, verses 50 through 52, we find Nicodemus standing up for Jesus and defending him from the attacks of the Pharisees. Now, that's interesting. And I, I want to believe that he has crossed over to the other side. He's crossed the line. He's part of the kingdom of God. And that's why he's unafraid now. He's no longer standing up. He stands up for Jesus openly. And then I went to John 19. 
And in John 19, you see this horrific, brutal beating and whipping and mocking, and Jesus is hanging on the cross, and he finally dies. His lifeless, bleeding body is taken down from the cross by Joseph of Arimathea, and guess who shows up? John 19, verse 39, Nicodemus, who had at first come by night, also came. Isn't that wonderful? And he was bringing with him a mixture of aloes and other spices weighing about 100 pounds. Nicodemus, the one who came by night, he comes now to Jesus. He's unashamed. He comes during the day. He's numbered among those who follow Jesus. How about you? Have you made a choice? Have you made a choice? And I want you to think carefully about that question because it has everything to do with eternity. I pray this morning that you will come to Jesus today. And don't worry, yes, you may have been a member of this church for 25, 30, 40, 50 years, but if it's clear in your mind that you've never really trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's okay. It's never too late. It doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. The important thing is that you come. I pray that you will come to Jesus today and place your trust in him. That's what it means to believe. You are trusting in Jesus that what he did on the cross is more than enough to save you. I pray that you will do that today in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.